what comes to your mind when you hear the word faith? Uh, what do you think about? What comes to your mind? What pops into your head? What kind of pictures come into your mind? It's kind of a difficult thing to describe. If I were to tell you, hey, describe to me faith. Like, you know, how would you describe it? Is it tall? Is it short, fat, skinny? What is it, right? Like, you can't, how do you put flesh and bones to the concept of faith? And oftentimes when we think about faith, we consider, like, we think about blind faith, right? But is faith blind? Is it, like, completely blind? My favorite definition of faith is found in the Bible in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. You have it in, the, in your notes. It's on the screen as well. It says this. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. Let's try to read this again. This time, read it along with me. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Ready? Go. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So, faith. Faith. When, I, you know, when you think of faith, do you think of things like confidence? Do you think of words like assurance? Well, at least Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible thinks to... To see these things go hand in hand when we consider about faith. Now the easiest way to think about faith is by using the language that Paul's been using over and over again throughout the book of Galatians. He says that we believe in Christ. Everybody say that with me. Ready? Believe in Christ. When he talks about faith, he talks about belief. Believing in Christ. We believe in Him to forgive us of our sin. We believe in Him to make us righteous before God. We believe in Him for a secure eternity away from this earth, away from pain, away from tears, in the presence of God forever. We have faith. We believe, right? We have faith that He's going to promise. He's going to give us all these things. And what Paul has been doing throughout the entire letter to the Galatians so far, he's been contrasting these two ideas. He's been contrasting faith, Believe in something, believe in Jesus, and works. Earning your salvation through works. He's been comparing and contrasting these two things over and over and over and over again. Are you guys tired of it yet? He's been saying this. He's been beating it over the head like a drum. Faith and works. And he's trying to show us the difference between these two things. Faith and works are completely different. They're on complete opposite ends of the spectrum. If you guys remember, throughout the book of Galatians, he wrote this letter because a false gospel had infiltrated the churches in Galatia. This false good news, fake news, came into the churches in Galatia. And there were these false teachers that were teaching the Galatians a message claiming that the Gentile believers, they weren't Christian unless they did this very one particular Jewish ritual, which is circumcision. They said if the guys didn't do that, they weren't saved. And so this is a specific thing. If you guys can imagine uh, an older guy, this was something that usually the Jews did it to their children, to babies, to newborns. They were circumcised, you know, seven, eight days after they were born. You guys tell a 30-year-old, hey, you're not Christian unless you get circumcised. And you imagine, right? And they were telling, they were telling these people these things. In other words, they were negating the very essence of the gospel, which is that the gospel is the free gift of God's grace that no one can earn, that you can't earn it, that it is a gift. That is freely given to whoever would want to receive it. And Paul has been taking time in his letter to course correct. To course correct. And, and guys, serious correction needs to take on a serious tone, right? If something is serious, you need to take a serious tone in order to correct it. And Paul, in many ways, if you guys can imagine, he's like a spiritual father. He knows this. He planted, he helped plant the churches in Galatia. He's like a spiritual father to these churches. And he had a personal stake involved. He cared for the churches dearly. And almost like an overprotective father, he has to bring about course correction. And I think the tone has to match the seriousness of the matter. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you, right, if you saw your friend in the street, you just happened to cross paths, and they were looking down at their phone, 
like so many of us do, looking at your phone, crossing the street, and you see a car coming towards your friend, and there's no sign of showing, slowing down. You're across the street, your friend is on the phone, they have headphones in, and the car's coming full force, and they, they're oblivious to what's about to happen. What kind of tone of voice would you use to call their attention? Would you whisper to them? Hey, there's a car coming. Would you whisper? Would you use your indoor voice, mommies? Would you use your indoor voice, right, to, to warn them? What would you do? No, you would, you would shout. You would yell, right? Hey, there's a car coming. You would jump up and down. You would try to grab their attention. You would do whatever to do to grab their attention to prevent them from getting run over. And guys, essentially, this is what Paul is doing in this letter. It's with that same level of seriousness and intensity that Paul is addressing the Galatians. Guys, because what's going on here, it's a matter of spiritual life or death. And he's telling them, like, hey, guys, you need to hear this. You need to catch this. This is super important. So listen to what I'm about to tell you. He says this, number one in your notes. If you're taking notes, there's a couple of fill-in-the-blanks for you to follow along with. By the way, guys, everything is online, too. So if you want to follow along you know, on Facebook or in the Bible app, the notes are there as well. Number one is this, do not foolishly follow any other gospel. This is what Paul's saying, do not foolishly follow any other gospel. What are the first three words? Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, it's in the notes, and it's in your notes and on the screen. Read those first three words with me, but read it the way you think he wrote it. Okay? Now read it the way you think he wrote it. Ready, go. Oh, no. He, he didn't write it that way. I, I don't think so. Guys, ready? Read it the way he wrote it. One, two, three. You, you foolish Galatians. I pity the fool. I pity the fool. Right? Is, there's an exclamation point. I feel like if, if, if you can read into the temperament with which he wrote it, I feel like he said, you foolish Galatians. Who has cast a spell on you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. In other words, guys, I, I shared the gospel with you. I told you that Jesus died for your sins. That it was apart from works. It was publicly portrayed to you. I told you. We founded this church upon this truth, guys. I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Can you guys sense the passion with which Paul is writing this letter to the Galatians? And again, it's written that way because he's addressing a serious issue. Back to the example I mentioned earlier with your friend crossing the street moments, by getting, moments from getting hit by the car. The reason why you don't whisper and the reason why you don't use your indoor voice is because it's a life or death situation. And that's why you do whatever it takes to grab their attention to prevent them from getting hit by the car. And if you don't speak up, your friend could potentially lose their, lose their life, lose a limb, whatever, break some ribs, whatever. This is why Paul is writing this letter. Because if the Galatians follow this false gospel, their spiritual lives are on the line. Do you guys understand this? Eternity is at stake. And Paul is not going to sit passively by while he hears that this false message is being uh, passed around to fool the Galatians into putting their faith in anything other than Christ. Guys, I, I need you to know this, that this is why we started this church. This is why we plant to Swerve Church. And you need to know this. If you're going to come here, you need to understand this. That this is why we planted this church in Bushwick. Because we didn't want to sit idly by where our friends and family and neighbors were living their lives without hope and without the promise of an eternity secured in the palm of, their, of our Savior. It's a serious issue. And that's why we said we've got to start a life-giving gospel-centered church. 
This is why the name of the church is Swerve. Do you think we called it because it sounds cool? Do we call the name of the church Swerve? Because the definition of Swerve is an abrupt change in direction. And that's what we're praying to see in the people's lives, in our community, in our family, in our neighbors. An abrupt change in direction from a life dead in our sins to made alive in Christ. That's why the name of the church is Swerve. You guys know in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus speaks about two roads. He kind of speaks like in, in parables all the time, in stories. And he talks about these two roads, right? And he talks about one road that's really wide. And he says, man, there's tons of people on that road. It's an easy road to follow. There's no bumps in it. There's no curves. It's a big road that can fit a whole bunch of people. You know what? A ton of people are on there. But you know what's at the end of that road? It leads to destruction. But then he talks about a narrow road. He says, man, that narrow road, it's, it's tight. It, it's harder. There's bumps. There's cracks in the road. There's potholes. It, there's twists and turns. And it's a much harder road to path. There's a much harder path to follow. But you know what's at the end of that road? There's life in Christ. There's life in Christ. Even though it's harder to navigate, it leads to life in Christ. And that's exactly what we set out to do as a church. We set out, we wanted to be a life-giving gospel-centered church where people would, their lives would be changed, they would be transformed by the power of the gospel. Where we would see people experience an abrupt change in direction and see people that were on that wide road that led to destruction onto the narrow path that leads to life in Christ. That's why we started Swerve. The application for us today is it's, it's a warning. It's a warning not to be fooled into accepting any other gospel. Guys, don't be fooled by some, by some silly-looking televangelist on TV or every, you know, every radio preaching that you hear, every podcast that you listen to. You can't pick up just any book and read. Don't be fooled by other, even our, our well-meaning but religious neighbors or people in the community that, that, that they give religion, they share religion. It's not the gospel. Be careful. Be careful not to be fooled. Because the truth of the matter is, as Paul's been saying, and this is number two in your notes, we experience salvation only by faith in Jesus. We experience salvation only by faith in Jesus. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 4. Here goes that F word again. Are you so foolish? Are you so foolish after beginning by the Spirit? Are you now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing? If in fact it was for nothing, so then does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing works of the law? Or is it by believing what you heard? Guys, did you guys catch what Paul is doing here? He's like rattling off a series of rhetorical questions, right? It's like a multiple choice test with only two options, right? Now, some of you guys, you're not good at tests, but I bet you, you even you could pass this test, right? There's only two choices. He's like, question one. If the Holy Spirit begins and carries out the work of salvation through Jesus, do you A, finish that work through the Spirit, or B, by the flesh? And what's the answer, guys? Do you know what it is? It's by the Spirit. That's the rhetorical question. You don't finish the Spirit's work. You don't finish what God's done. You don't finish the gospel all by the flesh. You do it by the Spirit. All right, question two, did you experience the salvation of your soul and the promise of eternity in the presence of your creator and experience eternal and escape from eternal damnation for A, something, or B, nothing? The answer is, of course it was for something. It wasn't for nothing. Question three, Paul says, does God give you the spirit, graciously and miraculously forgive you of your sin by A, doing works, or B, 
by faith. Guys, by faith. It's not by works. And so Paul is rattling off these, these simple multiple choice questions. And some of you are like, hey, you didn't do too good in high school. You barely passed, but you can pass this test, right? You got to get 50% of the test. You got to get 50% right. You know, and that's kind of the point. Paul is putting it out there, these rhetorical questions. He's setting forth this, this set of rhetorical questions to let them know, guys, what, what you're doing is foolishness. There's no other way. There's no other good news except by Jesus Christ. Now, Paul brings about this idea of believing in Jesus. In other words, having faith in Jesus. That's what that is. That's what faith is. It's believing in Jesus. And he says that the only way that we can experience this salvation or the forgiveness of our sin or newness of life and redemption, eternity, is by putting our faith in or believing in Jesus. And guys, this is so different than what basically every other worldview and every other religion teaches. Every other religion gives you a method or gives you a list of rules and regulations in order to reach God. But only in Christianity, only through Jesus, do we hear about a God that loves us so much that He reaches down to us through Jesus. Now, how did He do that? Well, guys, in our sin, we were eternally separated from God and headed for destruction. But God, in His great love for us in Jesus, to live a perfect life, a sinless life, and He served as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And He died on the cross to, in our place. And in His death, we can experience the forgiveness of sin. But three days later, He conquered the grave. And in His life, we have newness of life. And all you have to do to experience this salvation is put your faith in Jesus. And guys, if you're here today, right now, and you've yet to do that, you can do it right here, right now, in your seats. Right in your seat. You can turn away from your sin. And you can surrender to the life, to you, surrender your life to Jesus and put your faith in Him. Now, to help us understand this idea of faith, Paul brings up an Old Testament character. See if you guys can read that in the verse. Who's the Old Testament character that he brings up? Say it out loud. Abraham. You guys know Abraham? Old Testament character. Father Abraham had many sons. If you went to Sunday school, you know the song. He's an Old Testament character and, uh, and who was given a promise. God gave Abraham a promise. And that promise was that through his bloodline, all nations would be blessed. That his descendants would be as much as the grains of sand on the seashore. That's the promise that God gave Abraham. And this is significant because what you need to know about Abraham and his wife Sarah is that they were unable to have children. And so God would tell Abraham, hey, one day you're going to have a ton of kids and a ton of grandbabies and a ton of great-great-grandbabies. And you're going to bless all nations through your family. And Abraham is all old with his cane and walker and he's like, God, are you kidding me? I haven't had a kid now. That's never going to happen, right, because of his old age. But you know what? Abraham heard this promise from God, and he believed. And he believed. He had faith that God would somehow make his word come to pass. And sure enough, God came through on his promise, and he gave Abraham a son. And what's especially significant about this promise fulfilled is that wrapped up in this promise of giving Abraham a son was a blessing to all nations. And this blessing included you and it included me. And Paul helps us see, number three in your notes, the last point, that the gospel gives access to all nations. The gospel gives access to all nations. This is the way Paul said it, talking about Abraham. Verse 7 and 8, You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by what? By faith. And proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, All nations will be blessed through you. Would you guys just underline the last part of that verse right there? Underline where it says, All the nations will be blessed through you. 
And guys, this is important for Paul to mention because remember who he's writing to. His audience is a mixture of Jew and Gentile believers. And some of the Jewish leaders were wrongfully telling the Gentile believers that they had to adopt certain Jewish rituals in order to be truly saved. But Paul is correcting that message and he's saying, no, 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 no. No, both Jew and Gentile have access to Jesus because of the promise given to Abraham. God made a way for all peoples to experience salvation. By the way, how did he do that? How did he do that? How did he make a way for all nations through this promise given to Abraham? Abraham, can you guys, can you guys take a guess as to who would be born out of the lineage of Abraham? Anybody want to take a guess? What's the Sunday school answer? Jesus. Jesus comes from the line of Abraham. He's the great, 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 grandbaby of Abraham. Right? God's promise to bring about justification and to grant access to himself is directly connected to the promise given to Abraham. Now, why is it important to us? Because it is through this promise that we all have access to Jesus, regardless of race, regardless of socioeconomic class, regardless of skin color or whatever, we all have access to Jesus. We all have access to Christ's redemptive work on the cross that grants us forgiveness of sin and newness of life. We all have the promise of hope and a future, the promise of an eternity. But guys, this isn't just good news for later, for one day, great, Danny, that's great news for later. One day, you know, I'll be in heaven and everything will be okay. No, no, no. This is good news for us now because it gives, the good news gives access to every tribe, every nation, and every tongue. It means that it forms a new family under the umbrella of Jesus, right? That there's no, now where there was no, there's no distinction. The gospel is no respecter of person and it's made available to everybody. And if that's the case, then what does that mean for every single one of us as followers of Jesus? What does that mean? It means that you might, you might look, that we're all under the banner of Jesus, that we're all of one family. You might look different than me. You might have been raised in a different cultural context. We may look different. We may eat different food. But under the banner of Jesus, we are all one family. Under the banner of Jesus, we are all one. Now, how is that relevant for us as a church in Bushwick where we're surrounded by so much diversity in our community? It means that since the gospel is for all people, we can be a church that is for all people. That as a church, we can reflect the diversity in our community. That the church here, we can look like our neighborhood. That we can look like the different people in our community. That Jesus is available for anyone who would surrender their lives to him. And the gospel gives access to all nations so as a church we can reflect the diversity as well. And as I look around at the diversity in this church and how we've grown as a church and how we see all different types of people that are coming in reflective of our neighborhoods, it's a beautiful picture of the gospel because the gospel gives access to all nations. What a beautiful demonstration of the gospel when I look around this room and I see the beautiful diversity. In so many ways, we're, we're so different from each other, right? We have differences, different ages, different skin color, different backgrounds, different upbringings, different socioeconomic class and status, different jobs, different professions, different levels of education. But how beautiful is it that under the banner of Jesus, we can be one family? It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. And that's what the gospel does. It makes us one family. And guys, it's not by works. It's by faith, by putting our faith in Jesus.
Would you guys pray with me? As we pray, I'm going to ask the uh, worship team to come up here, and they're going to lead us in a time of reflection. So just consider, guys, as we pray, just think about this. Where in your life have you said that it's by faith and not by works, but maybe your actions show differently? Lord, keep us from foolishly following any other gospel. Lord, forgive us from thinking that we could earn our way to salvation. It is by faith alone. Lord, we believe in Jesus. We put our faith in him and his work on the cross, not our own work, God. We accept your free gift of salvation and forgiveness of our sin. Thank you, God, that you made a way for every nation to be granted access to you through Christ. Help us as a church reflect the truth of this gospel, that we might put the gospel on display in our community through how we love one another, God. God, and I thank you for what you're doing in the life of this church. Help us to constantly and always be a demonstration of this good news to our neighbors. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.